Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode of Inside Fashion is brought to you by NetSuite, which empowers fashion companies to deliver a strong omni-channel customer experience while streamlining back-end operations. Visit www.netsuite.com BOF to learn more. I was not going to move to New York to be a supermodel, so I knew what was going to get me out was probably a scholarship. What was it like for you as a 19-year-old walking into these, this world? It really felt like I had found what I was going to do for the rest of my life. In a way, your special sauce, at least from my perspective, is that not only are you on the inside, you have built trusting relationships with all these people. The fact that I have a seat at these shows is, for me, mind-boggling. So when I enter these shows or these events or this world, there's not a shred of bitterness. There's not a shred of jadedness. You help to facilitate the relationship between YouTube and the fashion industry. Yes. What I would like to do is use my seat to provide perspective to anyone who's interested in fashion. I think one thing that YouTube has proven is that big budgets don't immediately respond with great content. So the idea that you need to spend a lot of money to get a lot of eyeballs, I think is inaccurate. 
Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO. Welcome to Inside Fashion on the BOF podcast. This week, I sit down with the one and only Derek Blasberg. Now, many of you might know Derek as a man about fashion, hanging out with the it girls and celebrities with a huge following on social media. But little would you know, he was a top student growing up as he did in St. Louis, Missouri. Derek worked his way from Missouri to Vogue, from Vogue to Vanity Fair, and more recently, he's taken up a job at YouTube. As social media platforms and technology companies try to build closer relationships with the fashion industry, increasingly, they are relying on people like Derek who are well-networked and understand the culture of fashion and how to create content that fashion people will care about and which will translate to a global audience of people following fashion online. So this week, I sat down with Derek to learn a little bit about his new role, find out what's in store at YouTube and get a few of his tips and tricks of working in fashion. So here we go. Derek Blasberg, Inside Fashion. Derek Blasberg. That's me. Welcome to Paris. Thank you. Bonjour. Bonjour. How's it going? Not bad. You and I were both just at the Chanel show this morning. Hanging with Carl. KL, baby. How was KL with you? I saw him yesterday. Uh, as you probably know, he does all these preview um, appointments as he accessorizes the collection and there's sort of a revolving door of editors that come and pay homage and I'm luckily one of those people that get to come in and preview the collection. He said something that I thought was super fascinating. He said that you know his career is obviously one of the longest in fashion and for so long he has tried to find uh, intellectual recourse for every inspiration. And this time he said, you know what? I just wanted to make pretty clothes. It's not so deep. I just wanted to go to the beach. Just wanted to go to the beach. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting perspective on luxury, that nowadays the ultimate luxury is absence of mind. Exactly. And who... He was just telling us that it was inspired by a German beach called... Stilt. Stilt. Isle of Stilt. Yeah, which with its crisp air. No. For Germans, it feels warm. And today was very Germanesque in this uh, grayish weather. In any case, we're not here to. Enough about Carl. We're not here. We're here here to jam around about. It's the last day of Paris Fashion Week, which is the last week of Fashion Month. So we're in the home stretch here. You've gotten me at the end of a. End of a real run. Exactly. Two big shows left. Um, but in between and before the Mew Mew show starts, we just wanted to chat a little bit about you, as you have, just like everyone else in this industry, your own story of how you ended up hanging out with this character of, a cast of characters. This now sounds like therapy. I know. It is a bit, and you're sitting on my little sofa here, so... Uh, Am I going to cry? I don't know. Let's no see. one's cried in a podcast. No you told one. me that. It would be, this would be a, a record-breaking <laughs> podcast if, if you were moved to tears. <laughs> but let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Very good. How... how what were you like growing up? Do you want up? my whole bio in two, in two minutes? I'd li- I just want to know, like, how... A kid from St. Louis, Missouri. Born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, A classic overachiever. Uh, A fun fact is that I didn't miss a day of school, K through 12. 
So I you did, were never sick. I was sick, but I went to you school. Still went to school. <laughs> Why did you still go to school? Um, there's a variety of reasons for that. One is that I was good at school. I didn't want to miss school. Two was both of my parents worked, so I'd be home alone, um, or they would have to take off work. Um, and three, I think after you get you know to tenth or eleventh grade, you're like I can't ruin the streak. I remember I was the only student in the, the in all of my classes on senior skip day. Wow. Do you have senior skip? I know you're Canadian. We, I mean, you can we, put it together what it means. I, I can. So everyone skips class. Except for me. So you were the only person. Yeah. Are you still an overachiever? Um, I am, but not not in the classic sense of academia. Okay. In what ways are you an overachiever? Um, I I probably overachieve uh, socially, uh, professionally, uh, fashionably. Um, I rarely miss a show. I rarely miss an event. I rarely miss a fashion week. I rarely miss a Reese. I rarely miss an appointment. I rarely miss a friend's wedding. A friend's wedding. Um, Do you think that's been part of the key to your success? Is that you're so you have the energy and the discipline to yes kind of make it everywhere. Yes, um, to show up, as it were. I've always valued uh, commitment, tenacity. Yeah. Um, all those hallmarks that I learned in the Boy Scouts and Troop 200 in St. Louis, too. Missouri. Wow. Okay, so from St. Louis, how so do you get into fashion? I graduated from Afton High School in St. Louis, Missouri in 2000. Mm-hmm. I finished first in my class my senior year. Well, isn't that amazing? Um, I was a salutatorian of the class of 2000 like and a made a speech. Yes. Um, and then I went to valedictorian is the overall first and salutatorian is overall second. Um, so you were overall second? Did that bother you? No. I, by the end of high school, it was so clear that I was on my way out of there. Right. Um, there are some people who grew up in St. Louis who get out of uh, Missouri um, on looks or on uh, other skill sets. For example, as, as, as you know, Carly Kloss is one of my closest friends and sort of a de facto little sister. And she got out by being over six feet tall in third grade. Uh, I was not going to move to New York to be a supermodel, so I knew what was gonna get me out was probably a scholarship. Right. So um, in 2000, I graduated high school. I moved to New York to go to NYU. Um, I had taken a year of college level classes in high school, so I started as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. I declared my major early on, um, would be journalism and mass communication. Um, it was two majors. Uh, Why I, journalism and mass communication? Um, Growing up in St. Louis, uh, at the last twilight of the pre-digital era, I was unaware that fashion existed in the way that we now know it exists. Um, I would steal my mom's Vogue magazine or I would steal it from the dentist's office. And you know that there's a model on the cover and there was a photographer who took that picture, but you're not exactly clear on what a stylist is, what an art director is. Um, you don't know the nature of, of the industry. You only know the end product of what is on the cover, but you don't know how it's all created. You don't know the magic, the smoke right. and the mirrors. Um, and I think kids now um, have access to a lot more information and a lot more, uh, and they have a firmer grasp on the process. Um, and that's one of the fascinating parts of my new job at YouTube, which I know that we'll probably get to in a little bit. But today, if you are a 17-year-old kid in St. Louis, Missouri, with a few flicks of your fingertips, you can look up and see what a stylist is, what an art director is. Um, 
I didn't know any of that when I moved to New York. Uh, I moved to New York a little bit before the start of the school year to participate in an NYU-sponsored community service program called Outreach. And uh, one of the other one of the other people in the program was a girl called Saskia, who grew up in Maryland, and she was represented by Elite Model Management. Oh. And her claim to fame was an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog shot by Bruce Weber. And she was the room directly below me in the dorms. So you hooked up, like you, you met her and became friendly. Yeah, that was my first friend in New York. Um, and she lived in the room directly below mine in the dorms. My first, NY, my first New York City address was um, on the eighth floor of a building on Washington Square West with a beautiful, gorgeous view just above the canopy of the trees in the park. And I had... That doesn't no, sound like my dorm room in Montreal. I had oh, no concept incredible. of how incredible. You know, like, <laughs> you're so spoiled wow. that you... Uh, I didn't realize until I moved off campus to a walk-up in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, how magical a uh, high-rise on the west side of a leafy park in downtown New York actually was. Anyway, so through Saskia, I, I met her model agents. Um, I met a lot of stylists. I dabbled in my first sort of fashion week parties and started crashing fashion shows. And uh, my first job my freshman year of college was writing all the biographies of the girls at Elite. And at that time, there was Linda Evangelista and... Uh, Giselle was there at the time. And Elite. And Maggie Reiser. Wow. Okay, so you're you're like... I'm 19 years old. been opened into this, like, glamorous world of beauty. And um, what was it like for you as a 19-year-old walking into these, this world? It really felt like I had found what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Really? I, Already I, you knew that. I knew that. I knew that in, instinctively. Why? Because it had combined everything that I was interested, um, that I was interested in as a young person, but didn't know existed as an adult. Uh, I was obviously um, into writing. Um, I was into style and fashion. Um, I was into photography. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I, I took classes at the St. Louis Art Museum. But in St. Louis, you had no idea how that industry worked and how you could carve your piece of the pie out of it. I can relate to that because I grew up in Calgary and the only window I had into the world of fashion was Tim's show. I love I Tim like, Blanks, oh. yes. You know, what is that world? But that's amazing. So you're 19, you're in that but world. In, in Missouri, I know Canada had Fashion File with Tim Blanks, but we didn't even have that. We didn't have that. Uh, and so when I moved to New York and I dis I really, and I used the word discovery and I, and I think in the truest sense of the word, I stumbled upon this uh, fascinating... Um, what's that children's storyline which in the wardrobe and they all go through the the closet into this magical realm yeah. I also came out of the closet at, the, at around this time uh, so no pun intended a lot going on for you which was an amazing time to be young and in New York um, my freshman year I worked at Elite my sophomore year I did a year abroad and I went to London um, it was technically uh, my junior year because I'd started a year early um, and that's when I had an entirely new perspective. Uh, I had met Edward Enfull and Pat McGrath and uh, all these uh, London-based fashion people um, by going out and uh, Edward now teases me um, about, I, I basically moved into his house you for six months. You on his couch or something. Yeah. 
Wow. Was this? I would call us roommates. Was he at ID at the time. He was the yeah. He was at yeah. ID. I would call wow. us roommates. He would probably call me a squatter. Right. So there is. Uh, but he, clearly, he he liked you if you let me stay for six months. Yes. Um, and that's the first time I met Naomi Campbell. Oh my god. That was the first. Uh, that was such an exciting time. And also, as you know, you live in London. London is this unique beast of creativity and nightlife, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Um, I look back so fondly on that part of my life. So you're in this world, but you still need to find a professional vocation. Right? I, by then, I thought I wanted to be a fashion writer. Okay. Um, and so I was, uh, you know, I, I pitched some stories to Edward at ID. Um, I pitched some stories to Jefferson. This is when another magazine, I think maybe it was in the third or fourth issue, and I wrote uh, a couple things, you know, small things. Um, uh, which made me extremely excited just to see your name in print. Right. Um, after my second year of college, I moved back to New York, and I was an intern at, at W. Um, and then my senior year, I was an intern at Vogue. Um, I was an intern at Vogue. There was three boys. Do you know this? Have no. I told you this? There was three boys at the time at Vogue. It was me, Alexander Wang, and Brad Goreski. No. We're all together interns for really? the same semester. Um were you working together or on? Or we were all in the accessories things? closet. Shout out to then accessories editor Lily Balfour. Hello, Lily. What's up? I have no idea. I think Lily moved back to London. Is now an interior decorator. Um, but the sweet lady got stuck with these three boys in and the they accessories clearly, they closet. They picked their interns well because you've all done extremely well for yourselves in your own way. When I see Brett and Alex, we sometimes reminisce on the. Good old days of packing and unpacking trunks. At four times square was before Vogue was at uh, One World Trade Center. So I graduated college my senior year. Um, There was a a job opening in the managing editor's office that I really uh, fought for and I got, even though I probably um, was not cut out for that. Yeah, because the managing editor's office, if I was to put it somewhat diplomatically, isn't the most glamorous part of that is an accurate observation. Um, But the managing editor's assistant is the only entry-level writing position at the magazine. Ah. So 10%, it's it's really not the bulk of what you're doing, but it was the part that I thought would be my entree into uh, writing more for the magazine is, is, you know, you're writing contributors notes or um, little boxes. Um, I remember when I was the assistant to the managing editor, I wrote all of the captions for the February 2005 issue, which was notable because it was the first ever bridal dress on the cover of Vogue as modeled by Melania Trump. Wow. I wrote I wrote the captions. Andre styled it. Sally Singer wrote the story, and I wrote the captions uh, so for the story. So those captions require a specific writer? To Do they the require? No. Um, is it a... Uh, is it a badge of honor? I mean, when, you, when, when you're an entry-level writing, when you've just started at Vogue, you're happy to write a caption. Oh my God, I was over the moon. I was writing the captions for the cover story. Do I was so excited. Do you remember the captions of the Melania Trump story? I don't remember like, the captions, but I do remember the pictures. And if you haven't seen them, you oh, should take a trip down memory lane because those pictures are something else. Well, we'll put a link to those pictures <laughs> somewhere in the bio. Can you please in zoom in on the captions? We will definitely do, put in... Uh, a link to those pictures but, for anyone. Who but writing, writing, 
is 10% of that assistance job, and the other 90% is uh, contract management, um, uh, production scheduling, um, very managerial uh, tasks that I don't know if I'm left or right side of the brain, but I was the wrong side for that. Seems like you might be right. <laughs> like, sounds like the managing editor does like budgets and important. The managing editor at the time was a woman called Lori Jones, yeah. um, who was this sort of fabulous text woman who used to work for New York Magazine, yeah. and she had hired Anna Winter to be the fashion editor of, of New York Magazine in the 80s. So when Anna got this job, she brought Lori with her. So did you work with Anna when you were in the assistant to the managing editor? In the same way that any other assistant would. Were you scared of her? Uh, I don't know if fear is the, I mean, in, in a very, yeah, sure, I was scared of her, but more than anything, you are intimidated by her success. Right. When you say scared of her, I, it sort of sounds like, you know, uh, it's not fear-based. It's almost you're paralyzed by the iconography. Right. Um, I mean, this was I, I, this was I think right after the Devil Wears Prada. You know, she's she's at this point in another stratosphere of, of fashion right. personification. Right. And you're like crossing her path in the hallway and stuff. Hardly. You're like diving out of the <laughs> way, crossing her path. How dare you? Um, yeah. And so how long did you stay at Vogue? So Vogue was a little less than a year. Oh, that's a short stint. It was very short. Why? Because I was the worst assistant in Vogue history. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I remember, and I was friends with everyone. I'm still friends with a lot of people that I worked with at that time. And, uh, you know, I was like, I was the poster boy for what not to do at Vogue. Um, uh, but, they, but they liked me and they thought I was a very good writer. And so while I did not fit into the managerial staff in the extremely hierarchical organization of American Vogue, um, I began contributing to the international Vogues. So at this point, Vogue China, um, uh, Vogue Russia had just begun. Um, and so I would contribute stories like Letters from New York. That was a column and I had. And you'd write in English and they'd translate it into the local yes. language. Yes, which was, looking back, sort of fascinating because I would go home to St. Louis, Missouri with all these magazines under my arm to show my parents, you know, look, I'm, I'm doing it. I've, I'm actually... I'm a writer, and it would be in Cyrillic, or it would be in Mandarin. You know, it would be in languages they couldn't read. Um, and so while it was, it was daunting to be published in, art, in languages you didn't speak, it, looking back, it was excellent practice as a writer to be continually flexing that muscle. Right. And then how, how long were you doing that kind of So then I did that for a couple of years. Um, at that time, Style.com was still... Uh, um, I remember you had Blast Blog. Blast Blog. I think that's when I first encountered the Blast Blog. Yeah, that's and that's, that's when, when I worked I, with Tim Blanks. Okay, so that's when I first kind of heard or read your byline was Blast Blog. Um, and I loved working for Style.com. Uh, you know, at that time, um, for anyone who's listening who's younger than me and doesn't remember Style.com, Style.com was Condé Nast's uh, fashion resource. And they would uh, run all the shows. They it would so do amazing. party coverage. Um, I loved Style.com. And I'm nostalgic for Style.com because that was really some of the earliest examples of my writing, which have been lost into is it, the... Is it on the... If you put in Style.com, you go to Farfetch.com. I know. You get redirected. I know. So all that sort of body of work that I'd done and... It's all gone. And to go back to what we said earlier, to being an overachiever for Blast Blog, I shot my own pictures. I edited them. I would come home after a long night, upload, you know, and this is on a digital camera. This is not 
an iPhone with a Valencia filter. This was, uh, you know, I'd write the text, I'd provide the images, um, which I'm sure I have somewhere in the you bowels can, of my iPhoto. You can find the old blast blog stuff using this thing called Wayback Machine. Have you tried that? I've never gone way back. It's, I'll, I'll send you a link, but there's an archive of everything that's ever been published. So that's how I can go back. On, you mean for Conde Nast or in life? Everything. Everything. So what are the original BOF posts from way back? Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder what BOF looked like in its original, yeah, well, on see. WordPress or, yeah, or whatever it was. <laughs> okay, so you, you, you do all of So then Style.com, yeah. and from Style.com, I then became the editor-at-large of Harper's Bazaar with Glenda Bailey um, and Christine O'Neill, who's now the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal magazine who is still um, a close friend and collaborator of mine. And then in 2013, about five years ago, or maybe 2014, um, I left Bazaar to go to Vanity Fair when Graydon Carter was still there. That's pretty amazing. And that was really, um, for me, the Mount Olympus of publishing. Man on the Street. I was our man on the street. I remember I talked to Graydon about that once. I'm like, how did you get I wrote about you for Vanity Fair. That's right. That's right. Um, And Graydon Carter, who I'm still friendly with, I went and visited him as as he told the New York Times, so this is uh, not confidential information. He went and spent six months in the south of France. And I went and saw him um, two times. Uh, I mean, what a legend, that guy. Um, What did you learn from Graydon? what was so interesting about working from Graydon is that he really wanted the perspective from inside the room. And I think that there are people who value um, outside perspectives uh, or, um, you know, uh, the judgment comes from um, beyond the, the realm of the, the knowing. But uh, What do you mean beyond the realm of the knowing? Graydon always wanted, I mean, I'm trying to over-intellectualize, I used to gossip with Graydon, you know, and he wanted to, he wanted to know the stories, the real story. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. 
I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Right. Um, the intrigue, the social politics, um, the fashion dynamics. Uh, you are perfectly suited for that in a way because you'd managed to kind of find, get yourself into the core of this industry. You've built this huge set of relationships with lots of people, you're on the inside. What was your favorite piece you did reporting on the inside? Um, for Graydon? Yeah. Um, the first time my name was on the cover, which was, uh, you know, as you can imagine, Miles. a career highlight, yeah. um, was when Jessica Alba's Honest Company finally hit a billion dollars. Okay. Um, and I, oh, and we did this great fashion portfolio with Inez and Venude that I enjoyed where I introduced something called the Selfie Stick Interview Series. And it was like Grimes and Kendall Jenner and Michael B. Jordan, um, Dakota Johnson. Uh, I, I look back so fondly on working with Graydon. Why do you think all of those, you know, A-list names, why do they trust you so much? Because, you know, for someone oh, who observes you on Instagram who doesn't know you, they might not realize actually the reason all that happens is because all of those people are genuinely your friends and like in a way your special sauce at least from my perspective unique selling proposition is that not only are you on the inside you have built trusting relationships with all these people um i'm entering into this line of question with some trepidation because it is very difficult to talk about uh um, having well-known friends without sounding like a douchebag. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm and, and, asking you not because I don't. I want you to sound like a douchebag, but in a way, you have you've mastered the art of building real relationships with famous people. But they are real relationships. Yeah. Um, so when I lived back in Missouri, and Carol Blasberg, my mother, um, will attest to this because she was no fan of this, but I used to uh, really collage everything. Um, 
I had all four walls and eventually my entire ceiling covered with pictures of uh, Vogue covers. Um, this is back when Us Weekly was a monthly. I don't know if you remember Us Monthly magazine. Um, Premiere, Rolling Stone, Kate Moss, Tina Turner, Jim Carrey. You know, I really, I was obsessed with uh, fashion and filmmaking. And, and I think in a lot of ways, um, looking back on all those collages with my mother still has, um, it was almost like a, a manifest destiny. And so um, when, when we look at the world in which I live in now, um, I am just so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be in on this conversation. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, dreaming of going to fashion shows. And you and I just came from Chanel and we're about to go to Miu Miu and we've got Louis Vuitton tonight. Like the fact that I have a seat at these shows is for me um, uh, mind boggling. So when I enter these shows or these events or this world, there's not a shred of bitterness. There's not a shred of jadedness. I'm really excited to be Even here. Now. Yeah. And in fact, if it's a really big show, when the lights go down and the first girl comes out, I still have that like excitement and jitters. That's awesome. And so I think that there are people, um, actors, models, uh, photographers, stylists, there are successful people that dabble into this world. And I think when you meet someone who's really excited to be here and who is not trying to trip you up or uh, waiting for you to fail, I think uh, that is perhaps the only explanation I can have for um, why I've do done. You think, do you think a lot of the fashion industry is like that though? That people are waiting to trip you up or I think, waiting for you to fail? I think there is an element, especially now in media, where people in the public eye are extremely trepidatious and nervous and, um, and that's not me. That's not the, the stories I'm looking to tell. Um, while you were at Vanity Fair, you also did a TV show for a bit. Scene and Style. Yeah, how was that? Because I used to watch Elsa Clinch back in the day. Elsa Clinch is still with us. She lives in Tasmania and she writes, really? and she writes um, mystery novels. Yeah. So if you're desperate for a new fix of Elsa Clinch, I can give you her email and maybe she can send you some oh books. My God, I would love to meet Elsa. Elsa Clinch really invented my, you know, uh, business ethos. Yeah. Um, and if you look back, and they're all on YouTube, if you look back at her early shows, there was one camera backstage. There was one interview on television with a television camera backstage. She invented this whole sort of uh, aggressive media um, coverage of fashion shows. So she's a pioneer. Um, I did that show, I think I started that show in, two, maybe we signed in 2015, and our first show came out in 2016. Um, and for me, that was that was the combination of everything that I wanted. Right. It was fashion. It was also art. We did a we did a show on cars. Me and Kendall Jenner driving a Mustang convertible around Beverly Hills. Oh, I did not see that episode. I will forward that episode to you. It's one of my favorites. And also in that episode was Patrick Dempsey. And then I went to the Sotheby's Automotive Auction House. Um, which was like fascinating. They're like, and this is an eleven million dollar Ferrari, right. and I'm like, I'm not, like you're not, I'm not going to touch this thing. <laughs> um, and so uh, that scene in show, um, you know, the the photography episode re-aired this month actually, um, and that that because it was a fabulous episode. It had Kate Moss talking about Matt and Marcus. 
uh, Martin Scholler, who is the former New Yorker staff photographer who shot uh, George Clooney, Barack Obama, Meryl Streep, um, in that very close, uh, realist fashion. Um, and so, I, I mean, I when I signed on to do YouTube, I had to um, pull back on CNN. But, um, so tell us about the YouTube role, because this is a relatively new thing. I don't think... Not relatively, this is brand new. Yeah, so... But YouTube did not have a fashion department before my job was announced. Which is kind of astounding, right? Given how much content this industry creates. It's astounding in, in the sense that there's obviously a built-in ecosystem revolving around fashion and beauty on YouTube. Yeah. But it's not astounding if you think about the ethos the the around YouTube, which yeah, is anyone is can, creators, right? and it's anyone yeah. can create anything from yeah. anywhere at any time. Yeah. Um, but but it is a it's a thrill now to be able to lean into fashion and beauty on YouTube. So the base of this job, right, and at its at its core, is to help create more um, high quality fashion and beauty content. So YouTube, like other video platforms and social platforms is trying to encourage the creation of higher quality stuff. Sort of. YouTube has, had, YouTube has done what they're doing in fashion in other verticals already. Um, a good example is James, Garden, James Gordon's Carpool Karaoke. So they leaned into late night TV show and they've birthed all these brilliant programs which are now like birthing uh, other programs and I think Apple bought like the second season of Car yeah. Carpool Karaoke. Yeah. Um, they've leaned into sports. Um, yeah. YouTube, that is, has leaned into sports, they've leaned into news, and with me, we are leaning in together to fashion and so beauty. So what can we expect in terms of like fashion programming and content? Um, well, we did a big collaboration with Dior last week, so we invited, uh, I helped cast five top-tier YouTube creators to attend the Dior show in the same way that Dior used to invite actresses and models. And, and the messaging there was that um, the YouTube ecosystem has a built-in uh, engagement with these um, five YouTube creators, the Merrill Twins. I don't know if you know any of these people, but you've got to dig in. Okay. The Merrill Twins are these adorable, obviously, twins. Um, Jackie Anna, who is a beauty blogger. Winji, who is... Um, uh, she's split her time between LA and Australia. She has 12 million subscribers. Um, subscribers are different than followers. That might be too granular for what we're talking about today, but if you'd Nothing like to... Nothing is too granular. We can dig in in a... They like to know everything. And, uh, and then we, we live stream. The first thing I did was live stream Rihanna's Fenty fashion show during New York Fashion Week. Just that little event. Which was... How many views did it get? Um, it's over a million views. Wow. Which is crazy, especially on live, because uh, unless you're on YouTube, you don't see it you don't see it um of course she promoted it and rihanna could read the phone book and people a million people would watch it on youtube uh i mean and this was much different than a phone book reading this was a bunch of top tier models in lingerie so this had a, a built-in audience um we live stream gucci um tonight shay mitchell's coming with me to shay mitchell's another top tier creator and she's coming with me to Louis Vuitton. So the the idea is to leverage the creator community to help kind of cover the fashion industry in in a, in a light that perhaps hasn't been seen before. But what about not the, only not only yeah. cover because uh, it's not sort of uh, media media or 
or, or critique based. It's basically just to engage and yeah. collaborate. Yeah. Um, since there was not a fashion and beauty vertical clearly defined on YouTube before the creation of my job, um, if you are Chanel this morning and you want to engage in the YouTube community, you're sort of on your own. Um, Chanel obviously has a Google sales ad rep. Um, so you help to facilitate the relationship between YouTube and the fashion industry? Yes. What about the creation of original content? Because I know YouTube has this new thing called YouTube Red or something. It's it's no longer called Red. It's premium, and there's also YouTube Originals. Okay. Which is uh, did you, were you a fan of Karate Kid the movies? I was Ralph there, Macchio. Oh oh my God! Of course you would be. <laughs> you know Hilary Swank was the first. Uh, she was the first female Karate Kid in the franchise. Really. That was her first claim to fame. I didn't know that. She was living in a car with her mother, and then she was cast as the new Karate Kid, and. Life was different for Hilary Swank. Um, Cobra Kai was a film that was released on YouTube Originals, uh, which got millions and millions of, uh, did phenomenally well. So yes, YouTube, we call it YTO, is also leaning into original programming, much like a lot of other video and streaming platforms. Um, the way that the fashion and beauty world will, I think, unroll, is that we are going to attend to basically three buckets of uh, channel creation. So we have brands. So you have brands like This Morning Chanel and Miu Miu and Louis Vuitton who are already creating such exceptional content, but not a lot of it for YouTube specifically. Um, you have publications. So you have Vogue, which does an amazing job with 73 questions of creating content on YouTube, but they can do more. So can Business of Fashion. So can uh, Katie Grant and Love Magazine. So can Refinery29. Mm -hmm. um, we want to make sure that we are equipping you and those other publications. With... I have an idea for you later, by the way, but we'll do that. Oh, don't forget. Write it down. I don't will. forget it. Oh, it's in my head. Oh, there it is. Uh, we want to make sure that you have best practices and, and guidelines and guardrails. And then the, the third bucket is fashion professionals. So um, already on YouTube, there is a laundry list of uh, endemic creators um, who are super successful and wildly famous and making lots of money doing beauty tutorials and uh, speaking engagements and personal appearances and product endorsements. But there's not a lot of top tier fashion and beauty creators from our industry who have cornered their their market in that space. Sure. So I'll be approaching um, models and, and, and designers and stylists and hairstylists uh, to build out their own channels. Classy has a channel. Classy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I would watch Carly read the phone book too. You're talking to, you're preaching to the choir over here. But um, yes, what's interesting about Carly's channel is that it's a good mix of not only her perspective, me at a Taylor Swift show, me baking cookies. Uh, it's also all of her amazing work with uh, STEM and, and women in science yeah. and um, Code and for code, Carly. Code with Classy. Um, so you've talked about like the big brands, but we have a lot of, BOF professional members listening and you know, BOF community members listening who are kind of smaller businesses that maybe don't have the budgets of Chanel and Dior and Vuitton. So what advice do you have to those kinds of companies about how to build an engaging presence on YouTube if they don't have massive budgets? I think one thing that YouTube has proven is that big budgets don't immediately respond 
with great content. Right. Um, um, I have a I have a small channel, um, my own channel, Derek Blasberg on YouTube, and I took a camera phone video of Katy Perry changing between acts at her last tour. Um, it was shot on an iPhone. It's pretty janky. Of course, it's Katy Perry, which already has a built-in audience. But there are higher quality Katy Perry videos with less views. This one has nearly two million views. Um, so the idea that you need to spend a lot of money to get a lot of eyeballs, I think, is inaccurate. Uh, what I think does well, especially in the fashion beauty space, is a point of view and personality. So if you are a, uh, a, a which I think also works in, in fashion, right? Even if you're making clothes. Um, in all content creation, basically, in creative yeah. disciplines, like if you have a point of view and a personality, it gives you a... It works. Yeah. And authenticity, right? Right. And of course there are brands that have, I mean, I don't know who was at, I saw Pharrell walk into Chanel. I don't know who else was at Chanel, so if you have a uh, high star wattage front row, you're obviously going to get more traction across all platforms. Um, but. YouTube is a is a platform um, that relies heavily on uh, YouTube is harder, right? Yeah. So it relies heavily on not only picture and a filter, but sound, editing, dialogue. Yeah. Um, something someone. But it's more rewarding. Yeah, something someone else told me from YouTube at one point was that you actually have if you're going to start creating a channel on YouTube, you need to create content at a regular cadence. Yes. So people know to expect like an episode or, you know, a... Um... That's some of the, you know, some of the information that YouTube is happy to share is that once a week, same day a week, six to ten minutes. There is a beauty creator on YouTube called uh, James Charles who uploads twice a week every Monday and Thursday and you see the numbers spike. People cash in for that. They come in to see... They know that he has regular posted videos. There's this group of guys that I met recently in London. I think they're called Kira. Have you met them? They make this amazing fashion YouTube show. Where it's, oh, yes. They're so awesome. They came by the office recently. But the, the thing I really loved about what they But did, they're funny. They're funny. Yeah. They also, they built a huge audience because they have personality and a point of view. And I think a lot of their video, their videos now may be higher quality, but if you go back into the early days of Cure, that's shot on an iPhone. Yeah, that's not yeah. shot with a, a red camera or... No. And as the Venus ain't shooting those. No, exactly. So where do you see the YouTube, like, in a year or two from now? Like, what do you want to have achieved for YouTube? My goal is that when we know it's Fashion Week, people follow what's happening in this world on YouTube. So I hope that next season, um, when Fashion Week rolls around, you go onto YouTube and you can find um, Calvin Klein and Mark Jacobs in New York, Burberry in London, Prada Gucci in Milan. Uh, you want the best stuff, you want uh, good quality, you want a unique perspective. So instead of scrolling through like Instagram stories trying to find a video, like you would instantly go to YouTube. And, and, and it would be there. And, um, and all that content exists already. It's just not getting on there quickly enough or in a way that people can discover it quickly. The sort of messaging that I've been using is that I, I have worked in fashion for you know a decade and a half. Since you were 19. And I have earned my seat at these shows. But what I would like to do is use 
my seat to provide perspective um, to anyone who's interested in fashion. Because I'm sure there is a 17-year-old boy in St. Louis, Missouri, who would love to see what we get to see on a, on a, on a daily basis from Fashion Week. They're everywhere. And we now live in a world where that's not impossible and it shouldn't be. Sure. Okay. That sounds awesome. I'm going to talk to you about my idea after. But before we go, I also wanted to get... Are we done? I haven't cried or anything. Well, maybe I, I said... Do you want to make... Oh, wait, we're done. We get, the this is, okay, sorry. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here. <laughs> Um, are you happy in fashion like do you think do you think this is a happy industry right now with everything going on you mean what like designer fatigue or digital revolution um, you know boring houses you know like do you think this is a happy industry you're a very you said you're a very like happy person I will tell you a story so when I moved to New York my mother had a friend who worked in, in publishing, and my mom was the editor of a medical journal. So she had a friend who worked in medical publishing, which is a little bit different than, uh, of course, fashion publishing. Different kind of pictures. But the the name of her magazine was the Annals of Thoracic Surgery, which I tell everyone is like the vogue of the uh, heart and lung specialty world. Right. Um, anyway, so a friend that she had who lived in New York warned her. She said, your son thinks he's moving to New York and wants to work in fashion. It's a cutthroat world. And, um, uh, you know, and publishing is, is, is not a polite industry. Um, and so my mom was always very worried about me when I moved to New York. Uh, having that information when I moved um, to the Big Apple, I was very aware that I needed to create for me my own sense of family and my own uh, group of reliable friends. So um, is fashion in the middle of upheaval and is there some cruel aspects? Yes, but I have been very fortunate to have made for myself a tight-knit group of friends and family that I can rely on in this world and in this bubble of Fashion Week and beyond. Um, for my 30th birthday, I did a hoedown in St. Louis, Missouri. I think I saw that on social media. And it was a very surreal moment in my life because uh, I spent my first 18 years in Missouri and all my friends from that p part of my life were there and all of my family. And then the people I had met when I left St. Louis had all come home. See, maybe I will cry. I had come home with me. And it was a moment when I actually could feel my mom uh, relieved that she saw this family that I had made for myself in New York and I had brought them back to Missouri. and. Uh, so am I happy with the world I've created and the industry that I work in? Absolutely. Is it is it tricky or complex and at times even diabolical? Absolutely. Yeah. But so is every other industry. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, I, I'm happy that my mom seeded uh, a fear of, uh, you know, the dangerous world of fashion and fashion publishing. And I feel fortunate having... Uh, made the relationships in the family that I have had in fashion. You're fortunate. I think, you know, that's probably really good advice for anybody who wants to kind of make it in this industry. Because while it is all the things that you mentioned, it can be really difficult. So if you, if you have people you can count on. It's fabulous, people, but you need friends. Exactly. Thank you for lightening up my day. I'm happy I got to hang out with you. At the tail end of... What a finale. Oh my goodness. Two... And done.
Yes, exactly. Mia Mia and Louis Vuitton. Two more and then we're done. Um, congratulations on the new role. It's Thank really you for awesome. having me. It might not be exactly what you dreamed of in your bedroom when you were 17, but it seems like you've turned it into something really cool. And like to be working with like a huge technology company to help them navigate this world called fashion sounds like an exciting new challenge. It's interesting you say that because I think it's exactly what I thought of really? in my childhood bedroom. I wanted to work in a world of creative geniuses and, and fashion designers and models. And the way that we digest stories now is on our phones and on our computers and in traditionally in, in video format. So 15 years ago, I thought I would explore the world of fashion and beauty and film and glamour in my writing. And now I think I'm exploring it in, in video. It's harder to cut that out and put it on your ceiling, on your walls. Like I did when I, I don't know if kids today can collage a YouTube video. Maybe I'll just put LED screens everywhere. And like, it'll be... like Balenciaga. See, maybe that's it. Were you there or were you at the wedding? I was at a wedding. Oh, that was such a good show. That was amazing. That was a YouTube thing. It's on YouTube. Is it? It's amazing. Um, but thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Um, that's all for now. This is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. I am signing off from Paris with the one and only Derek Glasberg. Please tune in for another episode of Inside Fashion very soon. You never know who we'll be sitting down with next. Bye. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.